Messiah and the Parable, Part 2, Holy Chutzpah. That's today on Messiah in Life. judge. Friends, welcome to Messiah and Life. Today we will look at two uh, two parables of Messiah briefly as we consider the parabolic language that Messiah uses to express the truth of God's kingdom, application to life, and how we should be living in light of the revelation of the Messiah. In our first podcast in the series, on the parables of Messiah, we briefly examined the purpose and the background of parables. We noted the uh, some uh, some examples of New Testament and um, Talmudic parables and how they create word pictures that reveal to the hearer the character and the nature of the living God. So at times it can be difficult for us as well as commentators and various generations to properly understand and communicate the meaning of the parabolic language found in the New Testament because of cultural disconnect between Greek-influenced culture, Hebraic culture, changes in culture over 20 centuries, and so on. So, as I mentioned previously, uh, within that first century framework, we had a covenant people group who were agrarian, they were temple-centric, They were the chosen people of the living God. They were living under foreign occupation. And each of those realities shaped their worldview and the colloquial language that they utilized. So, Messiah spoke within that. He knew how to communicate within that cultural milieu. He spoke the language. He understood the dynamics of daily life, and he was able to communicate the deep spiritual truth of the Father to them effectively, even though at times the meaning of the parable uh, may have caused them to question and to wonder. And quite often that is, that is the work of an effective teacher to cause his students, cause his hearers to question, to develop questions, to provoke thought and consideration was was really the purpose of the uh, parabolic word pictures themselves. So, how would they and how do we respond to the challenges posed by Messiah to us through his parables? What is it that he desires us to do? What is the response that he expects from us? Let's read from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. We'll read of the parable of the contemptible friend. Then Yeshua said to them, and Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend? Oh, well, I have a friend. And will go to him in the middle of the night and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine has come to me on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Then from within, he may answer saying, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are, are my children and I are already in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even if the friend will not get up and give him anything out of friendship, yet because of the man's persistence, 
he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Messiah masterfully engages his audience by opening with, which of you has a friend? All of them would say, oh, I do, just as I did. And immediately the audience would begin to see themselves within the story. They would begin to experience it in a very different way than if it was simply, we would say, a homiletic uh, message or something. So, in this case, a man goes to the home of a friend for some loaves of bread. It's a relatable story, like uh, going next door, can I borrow a cup of sugar or something? So, it's night. The visitor that he has received was traveling, and he had no food to give him. He had nothing prepared. However, the friend of the man is already in bed. His children are with him. The door is locked. And it would cause a tremendous commotion for him to get up and help in this situation. So he refuses to help. He says, no, I'm not going to help. You know, I don't have anything to give you. Go away. So we need to recognize how the man approached his friend. He didn't knock on the door at first, probably because he did not want to cause alarm. He simply speaks to him. So even in the midst of a small Judean or Galilean village, those in neighboring houses would have heard the conversation. And they would have most probably been shocked because the man inside the house broke with traditional rules regarding hospitality, traditional expectation, convention regarding hospitality in Jewish and Middle Eastern cultures. Messiah doesn't tell the story, tell us the story. Um, directly uh, tell us the story in the story how that ends, how the situation ends. But he does if we pay attention to the details. As he said, I say to you, if he does not get up and give him because he is his friend, he shall get up and give him as many as he needs because of the man's persistence. So the Greek word translated persistence means tenacity, bold persistence. Literally, it means shamelessness. But some scholars have wrongly suggested that it is the man inside who is shameful because he wouldn't help his friend. But the Greek does not mean, and neither should we assume, that it means avoidance of shame, that somehow the man inside needs to avoid the shame. It's the man outside the house who has the bold persistence or if you were to translate it into a modern Hebrew expression or a Yiddish expression, the man outside has chutzpah. He comes to his neighbor's, his friend's house, and at night he's, you know, he's there, you know, um, stirring the house, stirring his friend inside. He has the audacity to do that. He has the holy chutzpah, we might say, to do that because his friend won't get up to help him as he should. The man will begin to knock, maybe shout or continue speaking until the man relents and provides uh, what he's asked for. So, he'll be acting shamelessly and he'll want what he wants. He needs this. He needs to fulfill this for his guest. He needs food to sit before his guest. 
So the focus in this parable is not on the man inside the house, but he who is outside the house. So we're going to elaborate on that point and the meaning of that parable in just a few moments. In Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, we have the parable of the corrupt judge. Messiah, again, grabs his audience's attention by speaking of a judge who is not fearing God, nor regarding man. Every person hearing would relate to that. They would know, they would say, ah, judge so-and-so, and it would be very relatable. But then there's the introduction of the widow seeking justice against her adversary. And this creates the drama. The judge who is not quick to action is faced with the continual troubles as the widow repeatedly demands justice. She's not going to just let this go. She's not just going to walk away from this. So the uh, the resolution, again, isn't specifically stated, but rather implied. The judge does justly by the widow. The judge was tremendously worried about the persistence of the widow. What did he say, if you recall the parable? Yet because the widow troubles me, I shall do right to her, lest by her continual coming she wears me out. That phrase, she wears me out, is translated from a Greek word that is that means boxing. They can mean to strike under one's eye or to give someone a black eye. It's a punch. She's going to keep punching me until I until I relent. So persistence was the only weapon that the widow had, and the corrupt judge was feeling the effects of her persistence, her holy chutzpah to keep going, as though he was being beaten up by her. So the question might be asked regarding the two parables. Can true faith be viewed as determined persistence that borders on determined tenacity or audacity? The question most certainly is yes. As we consider, um, it's a startling reference. Both of these parables are startling in their own way. The tenacity, the form of, if, if, if tenacity is a form of true religious piety and devout faith, um, what do we see? What do we learn from that? And now, as, as Messiah is talking, he is, he's revealing a strong current in ancient Judaism that extolled perseverance, even to the edge of blasphemy, and the struggle contained within the relationship between God and humanity. And we'll see why he is giving the parables the way he is. There's a beautiful conclusion that comes to this that we reach when we consider why Messiah is saying this and why we should have this type of strength and, and, and perseverance in the way that is being conveyed here because there's a beautiful underlying picture. There's a Talmudic story about Choni the circle drawer that says this, once they asked Choni the circle drawer, pray that rain may fall. He answered them, go out and take inside the Passover ovens so they may not be softened. That's an entirely separate topic. He prayed, but the rain did not come. So what did he do? He drew a circle and stood within it. He spoke before him, meaning the Lord. O Lord of the universe, your children have turned their faces to me because I am like a son of the house before you. I swear by your great name that I will not move from here until you have shown mercy upon your children. 
Rain started to sprinkle. He said, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill the cisterns, pits, and caverns. It began to rain with violence. He continued, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of goodwill, blessing, and graciousness. Then it rained in moderation and continued until Israel went up from Jerusalem to the Temple Mount because of the rain. They went and asked him, In the same way you prayed for rain to come, so pray that it may go away. So the rabbis warn against dependence on this type of action, this type of persistence, especially outside the proper uh, framework of faithfulness and obedient lifestyle. But notwithstanding that, Messiah Yeshua responds to boisterous and persistent behavior that broke with the social convention of his time as well. And let me give you three examples. In Luke chapter 5 and 17 through verse 25, because the, there was a crowd, those who were carrying a paralyzed man, if you recall, took matters into their own hands. They climbed up on a roof. They damaged personal property. They lowered the man before the Messiah in order for him to be healed. And what did the Messiah do? Did he send him away? No. Did he leave him, no pun intended, hanging? No, he healed the man. In Luke 17, verses 12 through 19, 10 lepers called out and spoke to a ritually clean rabbi from a distance, Rabbi Yeshua. They must have cried out loudly. Lepers were not to speak to those who were ritually clean, except to say unclean, unclean, as they walk through populated areas. But yet they cried out to Messiah, and what did he do? He healed them. Mark 10, 46 through 52 Bartimaeus, Bartimae, the son of the unclean, was a blind beggar outside of the city of Jericho, and he calls out as Messiah walks by. He's reprimanded by those who are walking with Messiah, but he continues until Yeshua calls him to himself. Each of these, among many other examples that we could give, demonstrate a determined persistence in faith. As Messiah says, your faith has healed you. Dr. Brad Young says this, when these two parables of Jesus are studied together in light of their Jewish background, faith is defined as tenacious persistence. The person commits all of his or her needs to God in true faith. So, as I've mentioned earlier, parables reveal to the hearer the character and the nature of the living God, but How do these two parables reveal the character and nature of the living God? Well, regarding the contemptible friend and the corrupt judge, these two parables demonstrate that the living, what the living God is not like. He's not an uncaring, unmoved friend that must be stirred to act because we're pounding on the doors of heaven and screaming at the top of our lungs. He's not an atheist judge who does not regard man or care for the plight of the widow. Messiah, through both of these parables, uses exaggerated and even comical behavior to teach his listeners what the Lord is like. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is full of grace. He is the opposite of the bad friend. He's the opposite of the corrupt judge. Why then do we need boldness, bold persistence, chutzpah today, holy chutzpah? Well, in the world we're living in today, Our faith can be challenged on a daily basis. 
And it would be easy for the enemy to discourage us if we were not persistent in faith, if we didn't continually push on and pray in. The answer to my question was that was placed before, that I asked before, the, the parable of the corrupt judge. And he spoke to them a parable that they should always pray and not lose heart. So when we think of the parable of the corrupt judge, that answer that I'm looking for, can we do it this way? Can we have this persistence? Is revealed through the parable itself that we should always pray and not lose heart. And that's the message that we should be prayerful, that we should not lose heart, that we should continue to press in and press on. We know that he is not a corrupt judge. We know that he is not an uncaring friend. He's not inconvenienced by us any time of day. So through these parables, we, lo- we, we learn to never lose heart as we continue to press on in faith. And that's why it's important to study the parables and to understand a little bit of the background and a little bit of the social setting and a little bit of why Messiah is speaking to his audience in the way that he did at that time so that we, in this era, can receive the same message and live with the same determined faith, persistence, chutzpah, in a world that says, you know what, faith doesn't matter. In a world that says God isn't real, in a world that says the Bible is a lie, we need that determined chutzpah, the audacity to stand against the flood, the tsunami of disbelief that continues to come towards us day by day. So when we read these types of parables, this is the message that we are to receive, always pray, never lose heart. Why? Because prayer changes everything. And we no longer have our old heart, but we have the renewed heart by the Holy Spirit. And we have a new spirit. And he is enlivening this flesh and keeping us going and holding us, keeping us from falling, even though we may stumble from time to time. And I hope and pray that in this you find some application to something in your life. I know for me it's a determined persistence to keep moving in spite of things that are happening in my personal life that I was not expecting. But we keep pressing on to the goal that is the Messiah. And we keep pressing on in the mission that he's given to us. The great commission to make disciples in spite of what might be happening around us. We keep on mission. We keep on point. We head toward the goal, which is to see Yeshua, to see Jesus face to face. So, friends, I hope and pray that there was something that you can apply to your life in these from these two parables and see why the Messiah spoke the way that he did and how we can communicate that to those who are around us today that are in such desperate need of a touch of Christ and his hope in his rest, his salvation, and his restoration to the living God. I thank you for listening today, and I pray this blessing into your life. Yeshua, 
May the Lord bless and keep you all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Until next time, God bless you. Have a great week. Amen.